0: We're in Mark today, so we're in the second book of the New Testament. And the Gospels, if you didn't know, are uh, four accounts of Jesus' life. So I know we've been moving chronologically through the story of of God, and we're going to continue to do that. But it seems like maybe, well, weren't we just in Matthew, and now we're over in John, and now we're back to Matthew. Well, that's because we're following chronologically his life, and these are four accounts. So we're not necessarily walking through these books in order uh, because we're looking at different, different accounts at different moments in time. So anyway, Mark, second book of the New Testament, so it's towards the back. Um, and today's title is Demons. And I know that's a heck of a title. Molly's like, you're really just going to call it Demons? And I'm like, well, I feel like that really sums it up because when you hear that word, there's a lot of things that go through your mind, a lot of things you think about. Uh, and honest truth that's really the focus today. Um, we have discussed for over a year and a half now, nearly, well, yeah, uh, the story of God through the entire Bible, starting in the Garden of Eden. What we haven't really discussed is the enemy that's been parallel to this whole story. And uh, so today we'll kind of look at some of that. 1972, in January, there was a day called uh, Bloody Sunday in um, Northern Ireland. It launched a 30-year conflict that went on between England and Ireland or, you know, these factions and stuff. You probably know the story of the troubles. But that particular day, Bloody Sunday, I know it really well. I've read a lot on it, but not too long ago I got a book on it. Uh, that I found because I collect Irish history books. If you know me, you know that. So I found uh, one not too long ago and read it. That was on this one particular day that occurred in Derry in Northern Ireland called Bloody Sunday. Read a lot on it, but in this one book, the book is called The Bullets Are Real. And in the story of or the, the account, what ended up happening was that these civil rights protesters. Uh, that they were, they were marching for civil rights, were fired upon uh, by uh, soldiers, uh, and they were using rubber bullets initially. Well, the civil rights people, the marchers, knew they were rubber bullets because the uh, English armies had used rubber bullets in the past, and they knew they were rubber bullets, and some people even collected them had them collect their own collection of rubber bullets and stuff. Now, they would hurt you, but they wouldn't kill you. But they they definitely would hurt. Uh, but on this particular day, at some point, one of those bullets was real. And then another one was real. And then another one was real. And before it was over, 17 people were wounded and 13 people were killed. And the book details... Uh, a, First person accounts from being there And it details what those bullets did to the bodies that they hit Now I've never read anything like that And it's gruesome You probably see a lot of this in the nursing world But for me it was heavy uh, Seeing how these bullets, what they did to the bodies that they hit And it's a reminder that It's reality Like those bullets were real And everything real that comes with that. Today's event, the story that we're going to read, it's easy to see it as a story. It's easy to see it as Jesus like flexing his power. But you get tempted to ignore the fact that it's real. That the warfare is real even to a violent level. And yes, Jesus is greater, but the danger is still real. It has to be. And though we consider the enemies defeated, that's what we do. We'd be foolish if we think that the enemy only fires rubber bullets. If you push into the dark places, if you push the gospel into the dark places, you're going to find out the bullets are real. You know what I'm saying? Uh, So let's look at that. Okay, here's your point. I put it on the sheet. I'm going to start putting it up here so you guys can see it too. Your one point to remember. Jesus has got authority, this is me now, this is not scripture, this is just me, but it's a good way to think about it, okay? Jesus has authority over all of creation, including demons, but spiritual warfare is real, and the battles are not insignificant, okay? Not insignificant, and for the record, I don't think demons, Satan, demons, I don't think they believe they're defeated, Uh, I know our word says they are I know we believe they are I don't think they do I think they have the same strategy now That they've always had Which is to convince Or to make God a liar To prevent God's promises In his word Because if they can prevent God's promises in his word He's a liar If he's a liar He's not worth following In fact, Jesus calls Satan the father of lies So that would make Jesus subject Or God subject to Satan Anyway, let's look at verse 1 We're going to cover a chunk, but we're going to do it really quick today. And I'm going to give you a lot of texts, but they'll be on the screen. A lot of it will be. And then you can write them down and go back and look at them again. main reason for that is because this is a heavy topic, and I want the Word to back up what I say, not me. Matthew 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, Jesus and his disciples. That's the Sea of Galilee. It's actually a lake. It's called a sea, but it's really a lake. It's surrounded by hills. You can see from one side to the other. I've been there all around it. You can see all the way across it, especially from an elevated position. But to the county of the Gerasenes, it's also known as Decapolis. Um, it is, Deca means ten. So it's ten Gentile city towns that had united in this area to the south, on the southeast side of that Sea of Galilee. So it's Gentile land. He's a Jew. Obviously, it's Gentile land. Verse 2. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, the second he steps out onto the ground, immediately... Keyword. There met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs or caves or crypts, same kind of thing. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Josh and I were talking about this text this week, and Josh was like, we should go pick up some shackles and bring them in and see who could shatter them. Think about that. Shackles broken into pieces. Something you'll notice is if you go back and look through the Bible or the Gospels and you start at the beginning, there's a massive amount of demonic activity at the time of Christ. Like nowhere else in the Bible do you see as much talk about... Demons and casting demons out and demons, and demons and demons and demons and demons and possessed and all that as you do in the gospels Not before it and not after it at the time of christ the Demonic activity is at this huge peak So let's do some quick definitions. I'm not talking about uh, Getting out a dictionary here, but demons what are? What are demons well? They're fallen angels and they're aligned With the architect of all rebellions, the same one who caused the rebellion of Adam and Eve, and that's Satan. So they're aligned with him. Satan is adversary or devil, synonymous words. Okay? Matthew, I'll give you verses now. Matthew 25, verse 41. Jesus said, then he's speaking of himself. He's talking about Judgment Day in the future, and he's saying that he will say to those on his left depart from me you cursed into the eternal fire the quote says prepared for the devil and his angels so they they serve him so who is he well i'm not spending a whole lot of focus on him but it's important to know who he is if he's the one who is considered over these demons Ephesians 2:2 2, 2, I'm going to give you a bunch of verses here really quick Ephesians 2.2 2 says he is the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience even now. Even now. Uh, what, when he says the power of the air, he's not talking about outer space. And he's not talking about oxygen. Where is air? It's like all around us, right? So he's talking about he is the pow- the prince of all that we live in. This is his world, in a sense. He's the prince of the power of what's all around us, our space. John 12, 31, Jesus said, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Also in John 14, 30, in John 16, 11, three times in John right there, Jesus himself calls Satan the ruler of this world. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Paul calls him. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. The God of this world. First John chapter 3, John the Apostle, years later after Jesus had, had ascended and, and uh, risen and then ascended. In First John 3, 8, he wrote, The devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Devil, Satan, same thing. So this is who this character is. He is a very real person. It is... Not a spiritual force in the atmosphere. He's a very real person. War. When we talk about spiritual warfare, what are we talking about there? Well, there's a hierarchy among spiritual forces. Again, it could sound like Star Wars if you let it. But if you look at the scriptures, it's there. Ephesians 6.12. I'll give you just a few. Ephesians 6.12. For we do not wrestle, Paul said, against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authority, against cosmic powers over present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Military. That's what he said. It's a military structure. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities. Authority over what? It's, it's a structured attack This is what he's saying. Daniel, there's, we could look at a lot of verses here, but Daniel chapter 10 probably has one of the most profound examples of warfare, spiritual warfare among angels in the whole Bible. In Daniel chapter 10, verse 12, you can read it in your own time, but just to cut to the point here. In verse 12, Daniel says, This angel, then he, this angel said to me, don't be afraid, Daniel, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God. Your words have been heard, and I've come because of your words. So he says, I've come to answer your prayer. You had a prayer, Daniel. You can read about it in your own time. You had a prayer, Daniel. I've come to answer you. And he says, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief prince, came to help me. Now, you could think he's talking about people, but there's no way. How in the world did a person stand in the way of an angel coming with a message? He's not talking about that. He's talking about the angelic powers behind these kingdoms. Uh, Mark 9, 29. Jesus himself said, when his disciples could not cast the demon out of somebody, this kind of demon cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. If he says this kind... Then that means there's a power, uh, there are some that are more powerful than others or in different ways. At the very least, there's a separation in some sense of of demons. We tracking with me? Y'all with me on this? Okay. So, a couple more and we're done. Demon possession. So what is demon possession? It's completely occupying a person's identity at times and controlling them and preventing them from having control not necessarily every minute of every day, but it is occupying someone's identity in a way that prevents them from doing it during periods of time. Luke 22, verse 3 and 4, with Judas, it says, Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was one of the number of the twelve, and he went away immediately and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray Jesus. So this would be Satan entering... Literally saying the words, entering Judas and causing, and we could give more of these, but we'll just go with that one. Demon oppression. Now, possessions in the Bible, the word oppression is not in the Bible, that word outright, but the actions are. So what's the difference? Possession is control. Oppression is attack or persecution without forcible control. So the demon is not taking over the body, but it is attacking and persecuting the person. I'll give you an example. Job 1, verse 12. The Lord said to Satan, All that Job has is in your hand, only against him do not stretch out your hand. So that's an Old Testament example, but here's a case where this, this is Satan in this case, but would have the permission of God to attack or hurt or, or do things to Job, but, but it was limited. He couldn't control Job. Jesus told Peter, And I don't have the verse, but Jesus told Peter uh, that Satan's demanded to sift you like wheat or put you through the grinder. And Jesus says, but I pray for you that when you come out, you can lead your brother. So in other words, I'm not saying no. And he's going to do it. Satan himself even faced off with Jesus in the wilderness. You can go back and read that in Matthew 5. But he literally, Satan even faced off Jesus himself. So, believers, can they be possessed? Well, people love to debate that. It's really a dumb debate. It can't, it's not a debate at all. The answer to that is absolutely not. They can be oppressed. We can be oppressed, but we cannot be... If you're a believer in this room, if your faith is in Christ, you can't be possessed. And I'll tell you why. I could give you a lot, but one quick one. Ephesians 1.13. In Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, when you heard the word, the gospel of salvation, when you heard the message of salvation, the good news of that, and believed in him, in Jesus, you were then, in that moment, right at that second, Sealed. With the promised Holy Spirit. So he puts the Holy Spirit within you and you're sealed. So if you're a believer in this room, you're occupied. No no demon can control you apart from binding the Holy Spirit to do it. and That's not not even remotely going to happen. Now they can oppress you. They can tempt you. They can do things like that, but they cannot have you. If you're a believer. If you're not a believer, another story. So let's go back to Mark 5. Have an understanding of that a little bit. And let's move. Uh, Mark 5, verse 5, it says, Night and day among the tombs and in the mountains. He was always crying out, this uh, character that came up and, and threw himself at Jesus' feet when he got off the boat that was breaking the shackles. Matthew adds that he was so fierce nobody could even pass that way. Verse 6 says, And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down. Before him, so he sees Jesus coming from afar across the sea on the boat, and he races down. And the moment Jesus steps on the shore, he throws himself at his feet. Uh, Luke, in Luke chapter eight, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell of this account. You don't have to turn to this, but in Luke eight, in verse twenty-seven, it just tells you a little more about him. It says, when Jesus stepped out on the land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes. So he's running around naked. He had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. So originally he was in the city and he had a home, but now he's, what? for whatever reason, these demons have occupied him and now he's been living naked in these tombs. Verse 29 of Luke 8 says, For many a time the demon had seized him, demons, and was he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven into the desert by the demons. So, literally, this guy is a threat to people. Like, people can't pass by where he's at. And so, they've attempted to bind him, like, go out. The shackles are not just his friends trying to do him a solid here. It's the, it's the police, more or less, or whatever, trying to make the road safe from this crazy man. And he's... Been able to break out multiple times, naked, uh, cutting himself. All of the things that come with this character are are horrific. This dude's a monster. You just got to get that in your head a second. This guy is a monster, and things are so different with this scenario. Before it's Jesus, and you'll see in a second, uh, but before it's Jesus casting out a demon, but this is an army of demons you're gonna see that in a second This is an army of demons before people are bringing the demon possessed to jesus to say will you heal? or Will you cast it out? This one is running to him Now he does fall down before him, but I wonder if it's mockery a little bit I wonder if he's being crafty I'm pretty certain he is because look what happens next verse 7 Mark five verse seven crying out with a loud voice. He said, what are you here? What are you doing with me? What are you what's your business with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Now watch this. I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Now look at the order here. This is crazy. Jesus was saying, come out of him. Jesus was saying come out of him but instead the demon is adjuring God against him. Like, In fact, a negotiation takes place here in the second over some pigs. Is Jesus failing? Well, he's not failing. But there's a point to be made here because they still come out. But Demonic forces, forces have real power. It's, it's real power. It's real strength. And if you look back, you'll notice in the context of the moment, in chapter 4, he sailed across that sea and he calmed a storm. That's when he spoke to the wind and the waves. and obey, they, they said the wind and the waves ceased. And his disciples are like, who is this that calms the wind and the waves? What kind of man is this? They're literally saying the waves and the wind obey him. Who is this? And now he steps out from that moment onto the shore and an angel, I mean, well, demons, call him the son of God. Son of the most high God. They know exactly who he is, but they also call God to defend them against him. That's so bizarre. It's almost like they're trying to invoke the name of the Father, like God the Father is greater than God the Son, and maybe in their brains, like maybe they're calling on the Father, like God against the Son and the Most High. Don't know. One commentary says this: the demons are not concerned to confess Jesus' identity, but they're trying to use His name to exorcise Him, to kick Him out. When they fail. Jesus, in turn, gains their name and casts them out. So, is this bizarre or what? But it's, it's, it's reality. Like, this thing is real. But the demons, they don't really understand. They're trying to figure this whole thing out with Jesus being present on the earth at the same time. Just like we struggle with it, they are too to some degree. Jesus is not like them, though. Jesus has not possessed a human body and could be cast out of it. Jesus is born into one. So, unlike them who possess this guy, Jesus is not the Spirit of God, the Son, possessing this person, this body. He was born into it. The incarnation, we call it. Is it confusing? (laughs) Yeah, it's real confusing. Uh, How can God be born into a human body? How's that even. How? Well, the demons are wrestling with that too, they're not all knowing. They're trying to sort that out too. They knew who He was, but they couldn't have been sure what he was capable of in this limited human body. And, and we know that, because even Satan tests Jesus. That's what the temptation. It wasn't just about trying to get Jesus to fail. It was also Satan going, "Can you fail?" You know, I will give you all these kingdoms. If you bow, I wonder if he'll bow. Can he bow? Will he bow? You know, they didn't know. They didn't know. Jesus had set aside his authority and was fully dependent on the authority of the Father. He said that constantly. And I don't know how he can how it, I got it. They're all God. But at the same time, there's a unique thing in all of history happening here where Jesus has said all, all authority is the Father's. I'm depending on him. I, I, he glorifies him in all he does. He says, I don't do anything apart from what he leads me to do and he's fully dependent on God and maybe the demons are wondering well then how much authority does he actually have i mean he was born into a body and he's under the authority he's on this earth and this earth is under the authority of satan so if he's on this earth and the earth is under the authority of satan then is how much you know do these demons have enough authority to face him in fact hebrews chapter 2 verse 7 Says, you made God, you made Jesus, is what he's saying, for a little while lower than the angels. As in terms of him being a man. You've crowned him with glory and honor, as a result, though. Verse 9, he repeats it. But we see him, Christ, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. They had to believe they could find a win while God has made this colossal mistake. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, God has made this guy, made himself, made the Son of the Most High. He's made him lower than us. Because he's just a dude. He's a man. They had to believe they had some opportunity. And here's my point in saying all this, guys. Listen, spiritual warfare is not reality if it's not war. It's just spiritual bluffing. You know what I'm saying? It's just spiritual jokes. Like, it, it, spiritual warfare would mean nothing if war were not a reality. It would just be a spiritual bluff. Mark 5, verse 9. Jesus asks him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Uh, Legion, in Roman terms, the Roman army was four to 6,000 in that range. So... Is he saying there's 6,000 demons in this guy? Uh, Maybe. And it might be hyperbole. He might just be exaggerating. But we know here in a second that they're cast into 2,000 pigs. So it could be argued that there's 2,000 at least. I can't even put my brain around that. That many demons inside a person. Uh, And it says, and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him. "...saying, send us into the pigs, let us enter them." So Jesus gave them permission, the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned in the sea. So, notice their argument back in verse 10 is to not be sent out of the country. Hold that in your brain. Why should Jesus respond to the request of demons? Like, why are we even negotiating? Why not just cast them out? Like, what? What? why in the world would he negotiate with these guys? Well, in Matthew's account, in verse 29 of chapter 8 of Matthew, it says the same account. But in his account, he notes them saying, What have you to do with us, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? So the demons are correct here in terms of the word. The the lake of fire, their ultimate destination, it's still future. It's still future. But he can cast them out of the man. He can sure do that, and he does. Now, here's the real question. Did the pigs go crazy and run off the hill? Or did Jesus like trick the demons into going into the pigs and then Jesus ran the pigs off the hill? Uh, what exactly is up with the pigs. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you, that one is heavily debated. uh, And until just this past couple of weeks studying this, I wasn't 100% sure either. And now I think I am, but I'll be honest with you, it's what I think. But I will give you a little bit to support it. One commentary says this. By the way, what I think is the demons killed them. And one commentary, Commentary said this. Against many interpretations, it seems that the pigs drowning surprises neither Jesus nor the demons. And the demons continue their destructive activity by throwing the swine off the rocky cliffs on the eastern shores of Galilee. So that's the, that's one of a couple I found that would agree that the demons ran the pigs off. But nobody says why. Why would the demons do that? Well, I think... I think the why is explained in the next section. I think the demons ran the pigs off, and I'll tell you why. Because verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. So they, the, the, the herdsmen for the pigs saw this whole thing. And they go tell everybody, the city, the country, everybody they could see. And people came to see what it was that was happening. What's going on? And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. Probably thought Jesus was some kind of wizard or something. Like nobody could bind this guy. And all of a sudden, here comes this Jesus. And, and here we go. Verse 16. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Their financial interests were more important to them than the person. They're more upset that the pigs are dead. So the demons drive the pigs over the cliffs and kill them all. It angers the locals. Because you just cost us a fortune. Killed my livelihood. And Jesus is then driven from the country. Instead of the demons, who in verse 10 said, Don't drive us out of the country. The demons drive the pigs over. The de- Remember, the demons asked for the pigs. Jesus didn't just throw them in, they asked for the pigs. Send us into the pigs. Jesus sends them into the pigs they, or gives them permission to go there. They run the pigs over. The pigs die. That locals get furious and the locals drive Jesus from the country instead of them. It happened with Jesus' disciples as well. You can go read it in your own time. In Acts chapter 16, Paul cast a demon out of a fortune-telling girl. And the people who made a fortune out of having that fortune-telling girl got furious and drugged Paul uh, before the law uh, because of lost wages and ultimately had him run off. So a little side note there, by the way. What if setting somebody free of sin costs you? financially could that even happen if you share the gospel at work and you lead somebody to Christ and their life's changed but people don't like you talking about like for Molly that could be a real thing for you I know you're in school you're in a school system and you do it be a big deal you know could be a big deal so we can't just look at them and say man what kind of jerks were they well hold on a minute you know Look at verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the story's not over, though. Hold on. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he didn't permit him. But he said, Go home to your friends. That's pretty cool. He had a home and he had friends, at least prior to all these demons. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and proclaimed began to proclaim in the Decapolis, so in all of these ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him. By the way, do you see that? He said, go tell how much the Lord has done for you. And then verse 20, he told how much Jesus had done for him. They're the same. And everyone marveled. So the demons begged Jesus to send them into the pigs. The people begged Jesus to leave. And this man who's freed of a demon now begs to go with Jesus. A whole lot of begging going on. Jesus is the only person not begging. This is a real battle though. This is a real battle. And remember, Christ's identity is at the heart of it. Son of the Most High God. The one who calms the wind and the waves. Calling, telling us to come out, but we are, we are a monster. You're facing the, you're facing the Goliath now. You're facing the, the champion of demons here now. But his identity is at the heart of it, and we face the same thing. Our identity is at the heart of it. If your identity is Christ, you should expect it. Are you going to run into you know six thousand demons in one person? I don't. I don't know. I highly doubt that. But I mean, who knows? But you should expect it if your identity is in Christ, in some way. But you can also know First John four four, little children, you are from God. And have overcome them, for he who is in you, you know the verse, is greater than he who is in the world. And let's not miss the fact here, before we give victory to the demons for running Jesus off, let's not miss the fact that, number one, he healed a man. Number one, he cast them all out. All 6,000, let's call it, let's call it two, there's 2,000 pigs. All 2,000 of them, he cast them out of the man, without a doubt. Uh, In fact, he didn't even call on anybody else's power to do it. He just did it. His own word was powerful enough to do it. Also, even though the demons killed the pigs, and this is the cool thing, even though the demons killed the pigs and got Jesus chased, chased off, Jesus responded by leaving the disciple. One missionary. You see that? One missionary, a Gentile among Gentiles who now has a changed life by the gospel. And I mean a big changed life. He's the most unlikely person to take the gospel in there. He had 6,000 demons. Why would you give it to this guy? That's the guy who's going to bring the gospel in. But what a testimony, right? And everybody knew who he was. You know what I'm saying? So Jesus left that one person, but what a powerful one person to leave. And he said, go start with your friends. That's actually encouraging. Thank goodness. I ain't got to go out in the street and preach. Start with your friends. That's a good evangelism approach. <laughs> but why start with your friends? Why do you tell him to start with his friends? They know him. They know what he's been through. They know who he really is prior to his encounter with Jesus. And when they see him now... They're going to know something changed in this man. Something powerful changed in this. So look at this. And Joshua's pointing this out, and it's really good. The demons asked for the pigs, and they got Jesus removed from their country. But Jesus leaves a disciple. The demons later asked for the cross, and they get Jesus removed from the world. But he leaves. Disciples behind Same thing i'm not saying jesus got Surprised but i'm saying that's the way it plays out and here's the deal let's wrap this up demons are real They're real i'm not trying to freak you out, but you need to know it I have encountered them, and i'm not saying that to brag. I don't ever want to I have, there's no part of me that wants that. I hate it. It's terrifying. It is not there's nothing cooler Brag worthy about it, but I know it's happened I know they're real And the fact is, you're either a potential chew toy for them, or you're an enemy. That's the only options. You're either a potential chew toy for them, or you're 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 an enemy. And if you're an enemy, you're you're gonna have to expect to face war. That's that's the way it is. And we don't look, we don't fight this war because we can't be hurt. We can. We fight it because we believe in our king and we love his kingdom. That's why we fight it. We don't fight this war and we don't fight against those spirits and whatever because we think we're going to be rich. You know, Oh, we're going to be blessed and rich and whatever else. We fight it because we want salvation for those who don't have it. We, we want them to have joy, and we want them to have freedom. If you see demons as a defeated foe who are just trying to drag you down with them, which is the way that I've heard things preached so many times, if you think that they, they think they're defeated and they're just dragging you down with them, who's the whole focus there? You. So you're going to try to be the best you you can be so you don't get drugged down. You're going to try to be the best, holiest you you can be so you don't get drugged down. But if you see them as holding on to a country, and I'm not talking about the U.S., I'm talking about like the text said, holding on to an environment, holding on to occupying territory, and holding slaves, captives, If you see it like that, then it's not about you. It's about them. And everybody in this room knows somebody and probably knows somebody they love that is the captain. If you see it that way, then you're going to realize they need our king. They need our freedom. And you're going to accept the battles. And you're going to accept the suffering. You may not want it, but you're going to accept it because it matters. But it's not about you. It's about the king. It's about the kingdom. It's about the gospel to all nations. And you know this passage, and I'll read it to you really quick when we're almost done here. Matthew 28, 18-20. So think about it now in light of all that. Jesus is ascending, having risen from the dead. Jesus came and said to his disciples, All authority, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So it's been restored now. It's all back It's all back in his hands. Verse 19. Go therefore. So because of that, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. You've got the baddest one with you. Baddest in a good way. You know what I'm saying? You've got the one who has all authority with you. Can they hurt you? Maybe. But you have the strongest one with you. Completely. All authority is His now. In all spaces. And He's saying that to empower us to face the same thing He did. But with certainty that as we make uh, disciples, that authority is with us. With us. Last one. Romans 8, 38 and 39. Paul said, I'm sure that neither death nor nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation that would include all the angels will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what's up. Stand up with me. We're going to take a few minutes and close it up. And I want you guys to... Join me in prayer in just a second, but I know that's a heavy one, and it's not even heavy, it's encouraging, but it might be surprising, it's a lot to swallow, I guarantee you that. Um, But let's just take a minute, again, I ask you guys to close your eyes, not to be dramatic, but I'm doing it too, but just to take a few minutes and process what's been said, not by me, by God's word, um, before we just race into a song and I know that's part of the song is to think through and to praise, but but at the same time process what's been said. Maybe you choose to leave Jesus fight his own battles. Maybe you even make it through this whole world without running into a demon or facing a demon or dealing with that. But the real question is what's next? When life's over, who are you going to share eternity with? They got a destination. There's only one person that can prevent you from that destination. One person that can prevent you from spending eternity with them. One person that can prevent you from being occupied, possessed, controlled, whatever else, by them. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a He. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us in one way, and that's when we confess Jesus is Lord. And we repent and follow Him. If you haven't done that today, you must do that today. You must do that today. You have to believe in Him. You have to put your faith in Him. Otherwise, you're on your own. Can you believe what He did? Can you believe That though you may never be good enough, he was. Can you believe that that death on that cross was for you? Because you can never conquer death, but you deserve to die for your sins. Do you feel that way? Do you believe he's alive? Do you trust that he conquered the grave? Maybe you can't explain that. I know you can't explain that, but you trust it. If that's you today, tell him, don't tell me. Ask him to forgive you and guide your path forward Lord, I thank you so much for your word I thank you so much for your power and your authority And Lord, I pray today as as we've looked at a really wild and difficult account um, Please Lord, forgive me if I've added anything to it It's not been my intention I just want to understand what your word says But the one thing that I know for a fact is You are greater You are greater and you're so worthy of all of our praise. We ask you, Saints and Christ, Amen.